Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here today as we're able to worship together. And uh, I want to give a shout out to my grandkids. So uh, Isaiah and Brianna. They hate me now, all right? So um, uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be celebrating uh, July 4th, which will be our 241st uh, birthday as a nation. And now, uh, okay, woo, all right. Now, as you all learned in um, American history class, in 1777, our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. And now this is an amazing document for many of reasons, but primarily, though, because it's different from other foundational documents that are found in really any other country on the planet. Now, you might not have the Declaration of Independence memorized, um, but there's probably one broad statement at the beginning that you recall, and it goes something like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their Creator with certain ineligible rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, our founding fathers believed that God, our Creator, gave each one of us rights that could never be taken away and should never be denied. And they list them, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, the first two you would recognize as being something that any country should embrace, but it's the last one that is unique to the United States. And what we've seen through our country's history, there's been courts decisions that have been passed to protect life, and wars have been fought to protect our liberty, but it's this last phrase that keeps some bewildered because it's totally different. Our founding fathers believed that the pursuit of happiness was a right that every individual had. Of course, our founding fathers wanted us to be a happy people, but more than that, they wanted the pursuit of happiness to be as much as the fabric of our nation as life and liberty are to us. We see that Americans, though, even though we enjoy a very high standard of living, the question has to be asked, are we happy? Are we really pursuing happiness? Now, Disney World tells us that Disney World is the happiest place on earth. Um, but in fact, it isn't. According to the World Happy Happiness Report, and there is such a thing that's produced every year, the World's Happiness Report, Norway is the happiest place on earth. And uh, Denmark... Iceland, Switzerland, Finland, they round out the, the top five as the happiest place on earth. America, we come in 14th. 14th. Now what's interesting about the 2017 happiness report 
is there, there's a whole chapter that's devoted to the American crisis. This was something that was new, added, it's never been done before. But America has been falling consistently every year on the happiness meter. And they're very concerned that it's going to fall, fall even further than 14th in years to come. The, the deal is that we enjoy this high standard of living, but we're not really happy. Now, there's a lot of factors that go in to why a person is happy. happy. And uh, so we see, though, it seems like there's an overwhelming, overarching thing is that people are happy when things are going well, but then they're unhappy when things aren't going well. And it's this roller coaster of emotions and this endless cycle of searching and experiencing happiness that, that really, really kind of clouds us and causes us some hindrances in the pursuing of happiness. Now, others, though, have boiled it down to pursuing happiness, but they're pursuing happiness in all the wrong places. For some, their, their clothes aren't fashionable enough, their cars aren't fancy enough, their houses aren't elaborate enough, their jobs aren't rewarding enough, their relationships aren't f- fulfilling enough, therefore they're not happy. And for some, any one of those things could make them unhappy. See, a person is happy when you have the new car smell. But when the new car smell wears out, then you're unhappy and it's time to buy a new car. It seems that the Holy Spirit was right when he guided Solomon to write these words in Ecclesiastes. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The idea is that no matter what you see, no matter what you hear, no matter what you experience, it seems that you're never satisfied, that you're never really truly happy. Here we are as Christians, and I think it's important for us as we go into the 4th of July holiday, and we're going to be hearing this idea of the pursuit of happiness, it's important for us to have a biblical approach to the pursuit of happiness. I I really believe we need the Holy Spirit to get us off of this roller coaster of emotion and to break this cycle that a lot of us are on. What we need is a godly mindset so that we might truly experience happiness. Experience happiness whether we're rich or poor, during good times and bad times, whether in sickness or in health. That we can truly be happy and pursue happiness. Now as I pondered this, I, I, was, I really felt drawn to the book of Philippians. And if you know, the Holy Spirit inspired Apostle Paul to write the book of Philippians while he was imprisoned in Rome for preaching the gospel. I don't know about you, but I think you're a lot like me, but I really don't consider being in prison or in jail one of the happiest places on earth. As a matter of fact, during my years of pastoral ministry, as I 
have visited people in jails and in prisons. I, when I enter into these facilities, I'm always struck by this overwhelming sense of bondage. You hear the <laughs> clacking going open and the clacking when it comes back and the door locking and you go through this series of these, these doors and it's just, you're, I'm just overwhelmed with, with a sense of bondage. I'm overwhelmed with a sense of discouragement. I mean, you don't really get to feel the sunlight. You don't get to go outside much. And, and it seems to me that, that there's, a, there's a, a, an extreme lack of opportunity to pursue happiness in a jail. But that's where we find the Apostle Paul writing the book of Philippians, is in a jail. And what's interesting is when the Apostle wrote this letter, the Holy Spirit inspired him to use the words joy, rejoice, and gladness at least 19 times in this short epistle. Just four short passages, uh, uh, chapters. Now, while he was in prison, the Apostle Paul warned his readers about the enemies of the cross. He warned them about those who were preaching a, a false gospel. He warned them about the danger of self-seeking pride that could lead to harmful divisions within the church. So the Apostle Paul was totally aware of all the bad stuff going on. But in the midst of this, 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 this opposition, the Apostle is urging the Philippian Christians to pursue happiness in the Holy Spirit. And really, maybe one of the verses, you probably know it, where he says, rejoice in the Lord always and, oh my gosh. Okay, okay. When a, when, a, when a preacher pauses like that, that means you're supposed to respond, all right? So, and the answer is, and, and again I say, okay, right here we go. We're going to edit this part of uh, the sermon, okay? So, rejoice in the Lord always and, okay. So here we see the apostle saying, listen, we have all this opposition within the church, outside the church, and, and, and I'm in jail. I, I get it. But rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It, it seems to me that the Holy Spirit had enabled the apostle Paul to shift his focus from exiting from prison to exalting Christ. It seems to me the Holy Spirit had enabled the Apostle Paul to shift his focus from self to serving others in Christ. And this is the work of God amongst us. And that's what I'm seeking for us today. That the Holy Spirit would begin this work in us so that we could truly rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, this type of, where does this type of mindset come from? It seems that the Holy Spirit had truly developed this in the Apostle Paul, this Christ-centered philosophy of life. And it seems that he expresses the essence of this Christ-centered philosophy of life in chapter 1, verse 21, where he writes these words, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, this Christ-centered philosophy enabled the Apostle Paul to pursue happiness 
while he is incarcerated. And there's probably no verse that summarizes Paul's joy, contentment, and purpose of life. This was his ruling passion. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, we all like the idea to live in Christ, which is what we're going to look at today. But this idea of being happy in death is something that many of us avoid. The whole topic of it seems to freak us out. So what we're going to do today is we're going to focus in on the first part of this verse, for me to live is Christ. And then next week, we're going to focus in on the second part, for me to die is gain. In my line of work, I perform and administer and officiate many uh, funerals. And it seems that that's the only time that people are really thinking about it. Death. But here the apostle really sets for us a a paradox where he says to die is gain. Well, that's that's next week. At least I hopefully I gave you a few teasers so you'll come back anyway. Well, let's dissect this first part of this uh, powerful phrase for me to live as Christ. Uh, First, I want you to notice that this Christ centered philosophy is personal. It's personal. Paul says, as for me. As for me. See, adopting a Christ-centered philosophy is a personal decision. No one can do that for you. Your mother, your father, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, the influential people in your life can't do it. They can try to lead you in the right direction, but it eventually comes down to you. For me. For me. This is similar to Joshua's challenge in the last chapter of the book of Joshua where he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And if you ever read that last chapter of Joshua, he he makes that powerful statement, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And then he kind of taunts the children of Israel because they, they, they respond back and he says, oh, yeah, we're going to do that, too. And then Joshua says, no, you're not. No, you're not going to. And then they said, yes, we are. We're going to serve the Lord. No, you're not. No, I don't think so. Yes, we are. We're, we're going to do it. Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> Sometimes taunting really helps a person to make a personal decision. And I, and I pray that the Holy Spirit taunts you today. Where you can say, as for me, I made a personal decision to follow Christ. To really seek him in all things. Now, for the Apostle Paul, he had every reason to trust in his own achievements and his own successes for happiness. And a lot of people in our world today, that's exactly where they're trying to find happiness, is in their own achievements and in their own successes. But Paul was no longer going to put any more confidence in his flesh. He tells us in the book of Philippians, he was circumcised on the eighth day, 
he was of the nation of Israel, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, he was a Pharisee, which was the, the most popular and prestigious religious sect in Israel at that time. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. The idea he wasn't afraid to take a stand. As to righteousness, which is found in the law, he actually says that he was blameless. <laughs> a lot of, that's a good resume right there. But Paul goes on to write in the book of Philippians, and I gave the, the, script, the, 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 the text notations in your worship notes, that whatever things that he was able to gain, those things he counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Seems that Paul made a personal decision. And more than that, he counted all things as a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. For Paul, it was personal. For me. As for me, is it personal for you? Now, there's a Christian paradox that teaches that the way up is down. The way up is down. And we see that Christ himself modeled this where he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then, therefore, God, what? Highly exalted him. The way up is down. So a person must come to the point where they say, as for me, I will live for Christ. As for me, it's not financial stability. It's not relational happiness. It's not pursuing a career. As for me... It's pursuing Christ. We have to realize that the surrender of self is a personal decision. Christianity is a corporate religion because God works in each one of our hearts and binds us together as his bride, as his body. Amen? But he works in each one of our hearts. You can't get into the church on someone else's coattails. The surrender of self is a personal decision. The surrender of self is the key that unlocks the door to salvation. But also the surrender of self is the stepping stones that leads down the path of sanctification so that we might glorify God in all things in Christ. As I said before, the way that we begin our life in Christ is the same way we continue in our life in Christ, it's by surrender, the surrender of self, by saying, as for me, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. It comes down to a personal decision that you make, where you say, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And I pray to God the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now. In the church I grew up in, we had altar calls. For those of you that aren't familiar with altar calls, it's the time at the end of the service where the pastor usually gives an invitation for people to come forward to make a clear profession in Christ. And this is where they begin their walks with Christ. And now, in the church I grew up in, we not only had salvation altar calls, but we had what they called sanctification altar calls. 
This was an opportunity for a person to come up and surrender a particular habit that was hindering their walk in Christ. It was an opportunity for people to acknowledge God's call upon their life for Christian service. It was an opportunity for people to acknowledge that they weren't truly living their life totally for Jesus and they wanted to have done, done away with that. So this morning, I'm, I'm issuing, you, issuing an altar call. That you would surrender your life to Jesus Christ for salvation and that you would surrender your life for the Lord for sanctification so that you can truly glorify God and all things where you can say, as for me, as for me. Basically what I'm saying is rise up, O people of God, have done with lesser things, give heart and mind and soul and strength and serve the King of Kings. Amen? I want you to make it personal. As for me, myself, and I, to live is Christ. Now, Christ-centered philosophy we see is not just personal, but it's also progressive. Paul writes, for me, to live. And this phrase, to live, could actually be translated to go on living. So it wasn't a one-time decision where you basically you know, put it in your family Bible, record it in your family Bible. It was a type of thing where it's an ongoing progress in your life. As for my, me to live, as for me to go on living, the Apostle is saying. For me to go on living is Christ. For Paul, the Christian life was a process of moving forward. It was an, a, a never-ending progression in and towards Christ. This was Paul's chief end, was his purpose, was to pursue Christ in all things. And Paul elaborates on this Christ-centered pursuit when he writes in the book of Philippians, Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which I also was also laid hold by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of a high prize, towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You sense this sense of progression in Paul's life. Now what's interesting is when you do a little bit of background study, you'll discover that the Apostle Paul had been a Christian for about 25 years when he wrote the book of Philippians. And there is no question that he is one of the most outstanding Christians that had ever lived. From almost the beginning of, of his conversion, he was called to be an apostle. The Lord Jesus basically taught him from the place of, of incarnation to the, the, the truths of Christianity. So he was mentored by Christ himself. And, and we see he was probably the, the leading missionary that the world has ever known. You, you can't get into the book of Acts and beyond in the New Testament and not be confronted with the fact that this Apostle Paul was really an all-star when it came to the Christian faith. 
I, as for me, I would say, hey, listen, you know, give me the faith of the Apostle Paul and I'll tap in right there. But notice what he's saying here. He had, he had a, a mindset of progression. Not that I've already obtained it. Are you kidding me? You're one of the greatest missionaries the world will ever know. You're one of the apostles. You've written, you written, you, you've written the, the New Testament more than, more than anyone else. As far as the Christian doctrine and, and, and theology. And you said, not that I, I, have, I haven't obtained it yet myself. This is a mindset. Listen, I'm always going to be pursuing. I'm never going to tap out when it says, I've, 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 I've grown enough in Christ. Paul saying, I have not come to the place where I know Christ in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, and the conformity unto his death in a complete and total way. And those are words that he wrote in the book of Philippians. And I just want you to get this. Paul says, I haven't come to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. I love that one. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ when it comes to overcoming death and hell and the devil. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Give me a full dose of that one. I'll take that one any day. But he goes on. I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his suffering. <laughs> Paul says, no, I want to pursue Christ in the midst of my suffering. And then he goes on and says, I want to know Christ in the conformity of his death. Paul says, I want to pursue Christ until my last breath. That's what it means to live for Christ. Paul says, I, I haven't obtained it. I haven't laid hold of it yet. But twice in this short passage, he says, I press on. And that word literally means I pursue it. I pursue it. I pursue to know Christ in every facet of my life. He's saying, I've been a Christian for 25 years, been an apostle for almost the same amount of time, and I still haven't arrived. That's quite the mindset. And school, I ran cross country and track. Um, my, I, I really wanted to play basketball, and my basketball coach wouldn't allow us to play basketball unless we ran cross country or played football. My parents wouldn't let me uh, play football. I'm still kind of bitter about it. That's the reason I'm telling you all right now. <laughs> so um, I, had to, I, I ran cross country. If you know anything about high school cross country, it's a three-point one uh, mile race across fields and paths and, wo uh, and woods and, and you have to jump over logs that might have fa fallen down and streams and this type of thing. Of course, in South Florida, this is up in Indiana. And um, so that's running cross country. Uh, track, in track I ran the 440. You know, if you don't know, 440 was one trip around the track. And, um, and it's smooth, it's quick, with no obstacles, no obstructions. So, but cross country is totally different. The fact is you have to yourself. You have to always be watching your footing. You have to be able to jump over these logs, these trees, and these streams. And you have to 
continue to be gauging yourself as you're running this race because you're not going to see the finish line till like the last 30 yards, 50 yards. You're, you're, they basically have you back in the woods. That's the way the Christian life is. The Christian life is not a 440. The Christian life is a cross-country race. There's obstacles. There's obstructions. But you always have to stay focused. You always have to stay determined. You have to be pressing forward, always gauging yourself with endurance. You have to do this in such a way so when it gets to the end of the race and you follow and you and you and you pass over that finish line that you can say, I fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. So my question to you, are you trying to live the Christian life like a four forty race? Or have you personally made the decision to be a Christian cross country runner? For me to live, I'm going to progress. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to keep on pressing on. Paul knew he had to do this. And that's what his focus was. This is what it means to Paul when he says, for me to to live, this is life. Notice this Christ-centered philosophy is not just personal. It's not just progressive. But it's possible. He says, for me to live is Christ. Christ is the reason why all these things that I've said up to this point are possible. It's because of Christ. Christ has done all things so that you would truly make a personal decision and progress in your growth in him. Christ has made it possible for you. As I've said a hundred times, this gospel can be summarized in the phrase, I can't but Jesus did, I can't, but Jesus can. And that's what Paul is saying here. For me to live, for me to keep on pressing on, for me to keep on pursuing, is Christ. Christ is all I want, like we sang in the worship service this morning. Paul had learned a secret, and that was to live for Christ in every given circumstance. He writes in the book of Philippians, the notes will give you the the reference, that whether he was living in humble means or prosperity, whether he's full or going hungry, whether he had abundance or suffering need, he knew he could do all things in Christ. Amen? Amen? For him, it was Christ that made it possible to endure all these things. But in the world that we live, if we find ourselves in humble means, we're not happy. If we find ourselves going hungry, we're not happy. If we find ourselves suffering in any way, we're not happy. Why is that? Well, maybe because we're not looking to Christ to make those things possible for us. Christ made it possible. Christ made it possible for Paul to endure all things for the glory of God. Christ made it possible for Paul to shift his focus from exiting prison to exalting Christ. Christ made it possible for Paul to shift his attention off of self and on to serving others. Christ made it possible to be content in whatever circumstance he might experience in life. This is truly the true sense 
of what it means to pursue happiness. That knowing that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. No matter what. No matter what situation. The person and purpose of Jesus Christ is the sum total of Paul's existence for living. And it should be the sum total of our existence and living. Paul writes in other places in the New Testament, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To him, in him we live, we move, we have our being. See, for Paul, it was Christ made it possible to truly glorify God in all things. To live for Christ, of course, means to to have union with, with Christ. Christ becomes our all in all. Being in Christ is the, vital, it makes, it's the vital union that we have that makes us a Christian. And you have been here for a while. You've heard these teachings and in the pulpit and in Sunday school classes. Being in Christ is what it means to be a, in a believer. That you are in Christ. Christ is the sum total of who you are. We are in Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote to the book of uh, to the to, to the Philippians. He says to all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi, because that's what it means to be a part of the church. That you are in Christ. We all come from different backgrounds, different situations, different experiences, different languages, different different economic levels. You know what brings us together as the Church of Jesus Christ? Being in Christ. Christ makes it possible so that you might truly glorify God. And Paul wanted to know the fullness of Christ, as I shared before, in all things. He wanted to know the fullness of Christ and the power of the resurrection, but he also wanted to know the fullness of Christ in in the midst of suffering. Paul wanted to know what it meant to experience the fullness of Christ so that he might experience the conformity with Christ in all things. To live is Christ means that we live heart, soul, and mind together every aspect of our lives. Well, I brought the board up here to do a little illustration. You've probably seen this one before. It's, it's hard for preachers to come do anything original these days. Anyway. So let's just say <clears throat> that's the circumference of your life. That's Everything in your life. What I believe this verse is teaching us, as for me, to live is Christ, is that Christ Jesus is the center, is the core of who I am. Now, in my life, I have my finances, I have my career, I have my family, I I have other relationships. I, you know, I have my home, I have my other possessions. So there's a lot of things going on. I I have my health. So I have a a lot of individual aspects of my life, but the core is Christ. Now, I know it's probably not like this today, but back when I was a kid, which was, you know, was millennials ago. But anyway, if you had a, if you had a, if you had a, a, a spoke that, that went bad. Let me keep that for a while. If you had a, a spoke that went bad on your bicycle, then you had to go to a 
to a bike shop because we didn't have like Walmarts back then. And you had to go to a bike shop and have them replace and tighten up that spoke. So my point is, is that we have to make Christ the core of who we are. But there might be an area in your life that's really weak this morning. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a situation that has come upon you that you never thought was going. And these, and these things, these weaknesses are really causing the whole wheel to wobble. And what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you today is he wants to strengthen these areas. And you know how he does it? By you making a reaffirmation that Christ is the core of your life. You do away with Christ, I'm telling you, this will, this will will not function. It will not function. It will fall flat unless there's a core, something holding it together. And you need this. And there's people in this world that are trying to find happiness. There's people in this world that are trying to find happiness with no core. That's the reason why Paul says, for me, as for me, to live is Christ. Christ is the core of who I am, and Christ, through the, his Holy Spirit, will strengthen each one of these areas. And if I find myself in an area of weakness when it comes to my personal finances, and that, that area is starting to weigh me down and starting my wheel of my life to wobble, then you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to seek Christ to strengthen that spoke. So that I can say again, for me to live is Christ. That's my challenge to you this morning. I want to say to you, make it personal. Can you say that you have made a personal decision to follow Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? So that he is the key that unlocked salvation for you? Have you surrendered your life where now he is the, the stepping stone that leads you to sanctification so that you might glorify God in all things? Have you made it personal as for me? And some of you today need to make a personal decision for salvation. And some of you today need to make a personal decision for sanctification. Maybe it's the whole wheel. Maybe it's just one part, one spoke. But you need to say, for me, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to pursue Christ in that area of my life. It's progressive. It's continual. It never ends. And Christ Jesus makes it possible for us truly to live for the glory of God, which is really the essence of all happiness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to you today thanking you that you've made it accessible for us to live for you. And we realize that we could not do that on our own merit, our own achievements, our own successes, but that you sent your son to make it possible for us. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, claim me as a child of God. As for me, Lord, 
I come to you. And as your children, Lord, we come to you confessing that we have gotten detoured, trying to seek happiness in all the wrong places. But Lord, today you've called to us the remembrance of your word. Lord, I, as for me, I establish Christ as the center of my life. But Lord, I confess that there are certain spokes that I've really allowed to become weak and unstable. And Lord, I feel my, the will of my life wobbling. And Lord, I come to you today asking you to strengthen me. Strengthen me as I make Christ the center of my life. Lord, with all my heart, with all that I am, in humble reliance upon your grace, I say, as for me, to live is Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.